Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of We Got Next with Derek Gervin and Paul Mokeski. I'm Ricky Hampton, along with former NBA players, uh, Derek Gervin and Big Mo, Big Paul Mokeski. And gentlemen, welcome and welcome to all our viewers out there and listeners on the Believe Sports Network. That's Believe, B-L-E-A-B.com. You can catch this show and all our other shows on your favorite uh, podcast sites, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Uh, Mo, we got a special guest in the house. I'm going to let you do the honors, man. Great. Appreciate it, man. Just uh, really excited to have uh, not only a friend of mine for many, many years, but uh, an accomplished uh, basketball player and announcer. Um, Mike Kaminsky played at Duke for four years. He was an All-American his jersey is hanging from the rafters, number 43. Uh, he was drafted by the New Jersey Nets and played for Philly and Charlotte. And then eight games for my Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> He's a sports analysis for uh, the ABC Network. And he is also in the Polish Hall of Fame. Mike Kaminsky, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, Mo, it's good seeing you, my friend. And uh <laughs> You know, it just uh, brings back a, a lot of memories. Um, all of them good ones, by the way. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to reliving some of those and catching up with you. Man, I have a. I, I put on the on the Facebook the picture of us <laughs> for 40, 38 years ago, whatever one. I don't even remember. It was either at my golf tournament or in Hawaii at the Players Association, but we always seemed to hang out together and uh, always had a great time. You know, as I was thinking about this, Mo, too, that, um, and you know in the league that you don't really have a lot of close friends at your position. You know, you, you kind of keep those guys at, at arm's length. And, uh, but, but we had a pretty good circle of friends that, that, that all played center in the league. And, uh, you know, I, I remember those, uh, the, the golf tournaments uh, very fondly. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just neat to, to have the, the relationships that have lasted this long. You know, you put it in context, you think about, uh, you know, me and we're, us getting drafted uh, 42 years ago. Um, been an unbelievable ride. I think we, I think we amazed some people because, you know, we would beat on each other during the game. And then after the game, we go out to dinner and have a couple of beers. Yeah. And they're like, what are you guys doing? I thought you didn't like each other. <laughs> well, it, it was, it was like that. Um, it was, it was like that cartoon with the, uh, with the wolf and the, uh, and the sheep hound, you know, they would, they, they would clock in and then they beat yeah. each other up and then they clock out and, uh, we, you know, we go do our thing. Mr. Jaminski, uh, first of all, I want to say hello. I'm, uh, Derek Gervin. I'm the George's the younger brother. Hey, uh, hey. I want to tell you first, it's a pleasure, uh, but I got to tell you this. Uh, Paul has been on this show. We've been doing this show for a little while. So if you're going to come on here, I just ask you to do one thing. Can you please be honest? Because you're telling too many good stories about Paul. And I know that <laughs> Paul Paul is not the angel that everyone thinks he is. And I also know about you as well. Uh, I'll get into it later because I have a question about these diamond studded earrings. But I'll get into that later. Uh, but I, on a serious note, I want to thank you very much uh, for coming on the show. And I just want to tell you this quickly. I was a big fan of yours. Um, I, I talked to Gino, as you know, he played with the Spurs. And I've known mm -hmm. him for multiple years. 
Uh, when you guys played in Duke, I was a major, major fan. You guys were my um, my favorite team. Can you tell us a little bit about your path to um, the NBA, your 14-year career? I, I believe you're from Connecticut. And can you tell mm -hmm. us how your path started from high school and how you ended up with the Duke Blue Devils? Well, Derek, it was, it was interesting that I, I may have been the first uh, high school player to reclassify. Um, I, w I played in a league uh, that wasn't very strong. I, um, I, you know, I started as a freshman, um, averaged 15 points as a, a freshman, 30 points as a sophomore. And, um, you know, I went on average 41 points a game as, my, as a junior. And I felt, you know, after my sophomore year that a senior year in high school wasn't going to do me a lot of good. So I made the decision to graduate early from high school. Um, I, I graduated when I was 16. And back then, recruiting was a lot different. Um, things really didn't get cranked up till your senior year. So I was getting letters and getting noticed early on, but I only told a few schools that I was going to graduate early, and one of them being Duke. And uh, I took an official visit down there. I fell in love with the campus. I loved the recruiting process. Duke had been down for a number of <laughs> yeah. years. Yeah. And, and I wanted to be a part of, of their resurgence. And, you know, we had a piece in place in Jim Spinarkle and, um, you know, I came in and then we got Gene that next year. And that was really the foundation of our program for three years. And, and, and Michael, you look back on that program. The, the Duke had success in the 60s. They mm -hmm. had great teams, then they waned off. But you guys are really the foundation of what we see with the Duke basketball today. Well, it was, you know, it was, Ricky, it was an interesting time, and we we really came out of nowhere. We really gelled that um, in 78 when when Gene and um, Kenny Denard came in, and we had a transfer from Indiana, Bob Bender, and a, a transfer from North Carolina Central and John Harrell. Uh, we just, we gelled, we came together, um, we beat North Carolina and Cameron in, in early February when they were number three in the country. And, and that really propelled us through the rest of the year. And we were really young. I mean, we started two freshmen, two sophomores and a junior, um, got to the finals, lost to Kentucky. But, you know, for that next three years, uh, we were consistently ranked in the top 10, if not number one in the country. And, uh, um, you know, we felt like we gave you know, a, a guy named Mike Krzyzewski, who they hired, um, you know, and, and after I graduated and uh, gave him a pretty good platform to, to build on himself. Hey, hey had, the, had the Cameron crazies really kicked in yet? Oh, they were, you know what? I mean, they've always been, they were they've that always, way in the okay. 60s. They didn't, they didn't paint themselves up, but they were always, they were always just a joy to play in front of and, you know, the whole that we'd get 5,000 students at a game and uh, the atmosphere in Cameron, although I am going to throw your uh, co-host there a bone in that I, I had the privilege of, I thought Cameron was the be all and end all of, of home courts. And I had the privilege of when I was working for CBS doing a game at Allen Fieldhouse. And I was blown away by that environment. And I, 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 
saw then that that is Cameron on steroids. That place is <laughs> is just unbelievable. Yeah, and I mean, I'm a you know, I, I was recruited by everybody, and and but I grew up in California, and uh, I remember the first time uh, playing in Allen Fieldhouse. I had no idea. You know, I knew it was crazy and I knew all that until you come hear the rock chalk Jayhawk chant when you're in the in the locker room waiting to go out and run through that tunnel and uh, got to do that for four years. Uh, you know, it, it's it's special. And that's unfortunately, you know, Mike, you've been around you're you've been around now with college basketball. A lot mm-hmm. of players don't even get to to experience that anymore. They for a year or they jump or they jump already. And and uh, I think they're missing out. Oh, I, I don't think there's a question about it. And, um, you know, for me, I wouldn't have traded my senior night for anything um, and, and staying there four years. And, you know, I'm, <coughs> oh, I'm, I'm doing games now where guys are in their third or fourth college because of the portal and because of COVID and because of, you know, this, that and the other thing. And it just seems very transitory now. Um, it, it's rare that you see a guy stay one place for the whole time. And I, you know, for me, the, the time that I spent with, you know, with Gene, we're, we're all, we have a, a text thread of all the guys that played on that team that is intact. And we get on it at least once a month, if not two or three times a month. And it's like we're back in the locker room again. Yeah, I mean, it used to be if you change schools, there's something wrong with you. Now, players change two, three times, four times, and it's not even a, a hesitation. I mean, you know, recruiting is so different, as we know. I mean, it's the transfer mm-hmm. portal. Half the players in Division One basketball are in the transfer portal at the end of every year. And, you know, it's just it's a different way to uh, to recruit now. And, and like I, I just, you know, I have friends. I'm, I'm going back for the 150 year anniversary of Kansas basketball in January. And, uh, you know, I have, I have teammates that I'll, that I'll see there and, you know, nothing can replace that. You know, I know money is great, but, you know, relationships and friendships are more important. Well, Mo, and, and the thing, the thing that really struck me about, about that place, I mean, your, your media guide is basically a history of college basketball. Um, I mean, when you're talking about, Fog Allen Fieldhouse and James Naismith Court. I mean, come on, you know, that's <laughs> the, the, the closest thing that comes to that in the pros is maybe the Celtics, you know, with, with their history and, and all, you know, the, the championships and everything. And, uh, um, but, you know, that's being a, being a history major, I really had an appreciation for that part of Allen Fieldhouse. I, I, I got a question for, for all three of you guys. While we're on this subject, I was talking with Derek and Mo off air, and today uh, you could enter the football version of the portal, and it is just tons of guys moving all around, starting mm-hmm. quarterbacks. All three of you guys were highly recruited athletes. All three of you guys played in the NBA, were, were stars on your respective teams. Derek's jersey hangs above uh, the University of Texas San Antonio Arena. Would, would you have been there if all this was going on now? <laughs> I'll go first because I'll probably maybe on this subject. Oh, man. 
it's just it's a different time and you you know i've I've come to realize that you have to make the adjustment this is it is different uh i i guess we just from a different era ricky where you didn't run around um you try to go to your school or whatever and you try to make it the best that that it could be while you were there uh you wanted to be a part of something special uh i can't be mad at the guys today i know it's a different time but yeah, we just from the, the cloth, it's a different cloth. We wanted to go there and put a school on the map per se. And um, we just didn't want to, we didn't want the help. We wanted to take the guys that we had in that locker room and make the best team out of what we had right there. And I think uh, that's the difference. I can't say it's right or wrong, but uh, I, I didn't want to switch around and play with different guys. I wanted to beat you as opposed to playing with you. Yeah. Kids, kids are different. I, uh, my sophomore year at Kansas, I uh, I broke my ankle right before Christmas, and uh, 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 I was kind of encouraged to play in a game with a broken ankle. Didn't have the X-rays yet, and uh, when I went home for for five days, I got the X-ray, had a broken ankle, and uh, had to get a cast. Was out for a while, and uh, I remember visiting some friends that that went to Pepperdine, and Pepperdine's on the beach in California. And uh, they they were begging me to come. Hey, look at where you'll live on the beach here, and forget those guys, and you know, come here and you'll play, and and uh, you'll have a great time. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, forget it. I'm gonna do that. Till I went and talked to my dad, and my dad said, you're not leaving. You're going back to Kansas, and you're gonna <laughs> fulfill your four years. Period. End of story. Get on that plane. <laughs> and I said, I said, yes, sir. <laughs> Well, that's, and you know, the thing, Ricky, for me that I, I think these guys today have a lot of voices in their ear that, you, you know, when I was growing up, I mean, I had my parents like Mo just, you know, talked about, I had my high school coach. There was no AAU basketball. I, I didn't have that part of it. And when I made my decision, those were the two voices that I listened to. Um, and that was it basically. You know, now with, you know, with AAU, it adds a whole different level to it. And then when they get into college, you know, you're not playing enough. You need to go somewhere else. And and it's just, uh, it, like you know, like Darius said, it's, it's a different time. But I, but I think the, the number of voices and then plus social media, having to deal with all that stuff, too, is, uh, you know, really a lot for, uh, for a college uh, guy to deal with. Mr. Jamel, Ricky, this for all you guys. Remember, here's the biggest difference. When we went to school, you went mainly for your education. The school, the, the basketball was a secondary part because, you know, you had to get your education anyway. And most people back then went three or four years. Now it's just a lot of guys are going out for that dollar. I'm just being honest. Today, they're, you know, every time you look around social media, uh, they're rating guys at 10 years old. I mean, it's just a different time. And guys today are, are chasing the money. And I can kind of understand that. Uh, I think it's sad because you miss out on the experience of college. Um, I think that's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. But you also got to look at the side where some people want to provide for their families today. And I guess, if, hey, they, they do it in tennis or whatever. So I guess I have to kind of go along with it. I but saw. You, you, <laughs> yeah, you know what, too, Derek and Mo, that, that – you know, it's not just the kids. I mean, for some of them, the parents are the ones who are driving <laughs> yes. this. That they see, it's like their kid can hit the lottery if he. Well, that's who I meant. So I'm glad. Thank you. Yes, sir. You know. <laughs> so, yeah. 
you know, they they can they can be culpable in this thing as well. Yeah, I yeah. saw some. I was at dinner. Some I was looking at my phone, and uh, I saw a picture of a, a, a six year old. Right, he's on the floor. I saw him, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> this man this, recruited. This is, the, this is the guy to watch. What? Six years. He's I six saw years that. Old. What do you mean, watch? Oh, it's the truth, Ricky. I saw it. Talking about he's being recruited. But here's, here's you know, and here's the other thing too, guys. With to that end, I mean, with with as much as they're playing, like when I when we were in college, Mo, hardly anybody had an ACL. I mean, nobody had those injuries. Now, you know, I'm seeing guys in college who have at least one ACL, maybe two, maybe more, and I think it's just the you know as many games as they're playing in high school in the summertime, AAU ball and everything, it catches up with them at an earlier age. Mr. Jemeski, I'm glad you said that, sir. Wow, I, 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 about I, that. I gave my ninth grade team this week off for practice just because of what you said this week. And that's what I told them. I think sometimes we forget about resting your bodies. Uh, everybody wants to get to that prize, that big money and all that. But you have to get there first. And we got to take care of our bodies. And we got to remind these kids, it's just like a car. If you don't take care of it, it breaks down. So we all yeah, need a rest. Especially when you're young like that. They're still developing. So important. Well, and you know, and that's not to say, like, you know, growing up, like, we would go, but it was it was less structured and, and less travel. You'd go to your park or your hometown or whatever, and you'd play pickup all day long. But that, for whatever reason, was less stressful on your body than having an organized schedule of travel of 50 or 60 games in the offseason. <laughs> hey, hey, Mike, I... I... One of the things I want to ask you when I found out you were coming on the show, we all know about Kareem Skyhook, but mm -hmm. I remember you for your little, it was like a little half hook. Yeah, it was a great shot for you. Where did well, you develop that? Well, I, you know what, Ricky, I, I actually, I patterned that after Dave Cowens, who was yeah. an, un, an undersized center at 6'9". And, you know, the thing for me that it was a shot that that I could get off and you couldn't block it. And, you know, I had that and I had 18 foot range on my jump shot. So I had a couple of things that I could, you know, use in a game that I knew that I could rely on. But that that jump hook for me was invaluable. Um, I, you know, I started using it in high school. I developed it um, in college and it, it really served me well. And you know, as you know, Mo knows back then, 80s, 90s, I mean, we're playing against centers. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, they, they're a die. They, they, they're extinct now. But, um, you know, back then, everybody, I was undersized at 6'11 and a half. You know, that okay. was a, but you that got was off a the small floor. center. You got off the floor, though. Yeah, so and your, but, your athleticism wasn't talked about a lot. I don't remember Duke. I thought you had a lot of athleticism. <laughs> well, it was it, it it was sneaky. It wasn't overt. Like, like I thought right? we weren't gonna. I thought we weren't gonna lie on here. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you know what? Mo on his uh, Mo on on Facebook puts out a thing called the unathletic eighties, where he yeah. shows guys. I never saw my picture on any one of those. Uh... <laughs> oh, I got to look a little deeper. I'll find. But like, but you're right, Mike. I mean, I, Ricky has been here. I, I have a picture back here, and it's uh, me trying to go up and contest Kareem's hook, 
and I'm coming from the weak side. Kareem is 7'3", he's shooting it. Randy Brewer is guarding him at 7'3", and Mitch Kupchak is 6'11", next to us, all in the same area. Yeah. You know, that doesn't happen anymore. You know? No, I mean, every every team had at least one or two seven-footers. But, you know, Ricky, you're, people ask me all the time about who's the toughest I ever played against. And, yeah, I mean, there were – but Kareem's – Kareem's him in his prime is not even close. Now I, I would put having to guard Elijah Wan right there with you know as quick and as strong and as fast as he was, um, you know, a pretty close second. But Kareem was just ridiculous. Like Mo said, we had the best seat in the house. We were looking up at uh, <laughs> you know we were about two feet away from him. I tell you, you know, I grew up, you know, a Lakers fan, and and he was, you know, a UCLA fan. And I remember uh, when I was with the Pistons, and I was starting some games, and we played them. And you know, I'm sitting there, watching, you know, I'm guarding them, and I'm going, "Wow, that's beautiful." Until someone <laughs> said, "Hey, Mo, you got to guard the dude." <laughs> Paul, Paul, this for you and Mr. Jeminski. And I don't like to really go back, but I ha- I'm gonna try. I'm gonna do something. You guys, I just want you to tell me because I'm hearing you talk about Kareem and the sky hook. How amazing was it to you guys when you could see uh, Will Chamberlain contest Kareem and not only contest, but block his shot just on a straight up jump? Not even he barely had to bend down. He didn't get running starts. How when you guys first saw that, were you taken aback like I was? Well, here's here's the thing. And and um, I, I know how Mo feels about because he posts a lot about, you know, the everybody says the goat argument is a slam dunk. And so I, I completely disagree with that because I, I put Wilt squarely in that conversation along with Bill Russell and Kareem. Uh, and, and I've obviously a bias towards centers, but I mean, what Wilt did, he, one year he averaged 48.2 minutes a game, yeah. meaning he played <laughs> Every minute plus overtime of every game. <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. He also, um, he's also the only center that's ever led the NBA in assists for a season. I mean, but, when he, and that's that's because Moe got upset. People were saying he didn't pass the ball, yep. and he said, "All right, I'll show you guys. I'm going to lead the league in assists," and he did. Yeah, I I, mean, I I was lucky enough to play against him at Pepperdine on pickup games. In the summer, he had been retired for five or seven years, but he's still playing uh, volleyball and doing all that. And he would just, I'm talking about, we play games, you know, we have Lakers and Clippers and Bruins and all these guys. And he, all he would do was he wanted to get a sweat, run up and down, block shots and rebound, unless you really pissed him off, then, <laughs> then you better get out of the way. But I mean, uh, but you're right, uh, Derek. I mean, <clears throat> Mike, Mike and I have been front row. The thing about Cream's hook is, he could shoot that thing from 17 feet out. It was, yeah. you know, he didn't have to be eight with, feet. With, eleva- with elevation, Paul, that's oh, what's amazing. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, with, with, I tell people and with all great players that you had to play percentages, you know, they're going to get their number, but you know, if, if Kareem went 10 for 25 from the floor, I did my job. Yeah. If he went 10 for 13, I did you know, that that's that's basically what it boiled down to, and that's the best you could hope for. Mr. Jemeski, how did how did you play him? What was your did you try to push him out a few feet? What was your goal? Yeah, but that's like you know, like you said, that his range on that hook shot was unbelievable. So 
And here's the thing that people don't realize about him either is he got pummeled every night. I mean, the referees could have called a foul every <laughs> single play on him. And the beating that he would take night in and night out was just unbelievable. And you look at him and people don't understand how strong he was. Um, but, you know, I, you know, like I said, yeah, do I, did I try to make him move out a few more feet? Yeah. Did I try to bump him when he was going up for a shot? Yeah. All those things. Um, but, you know, but it is after a while, it gets to be a little bit of a helpless feeling. Yeah. I mean, I, I sat on his left shoulder and yeah. I figured if I, if I can make him go right, he's going to drop step and dunk. Or he might turn it over. I got a shot. But if he goes left shoulder, forget it. Yeah. And that's, and Mo, you would sit on that other side and he would back you into the lane to the point where he could almost turn around and, and dunk it. <laughs> but he would always swing back to that hook, you know, regardless <laughs> of how deep he got into the lane. Paul, did you guys, did you guys respect his jump shot? Did you honor his jump shot at all? Did that make it a little more difficult? You know, for, for for me, if if he took a jump shot, I was I breathed a sigh of relief. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, go ahead, big fella, your shot looks good tonight. <laughs> Keep it looks doing good, that. man. That looks sweet. <laughs> well, Mike, I, I want to get your comment on this because I, I've talked to more about this. As difficult mm -hmm. as what as it was guarding Kareem, Mo always talks about trying to guard Moses. Is even crazier because of his unpredictability. Did you find that? Well, I, I I thought the thing about Moses was, and I used to play well against him, at least offensively. But um, he was relentless. Uh, he thought that every shot his team took was going to miss, and he went after every single shot. And you, you just got worn down after a while blocking him out. And he was so strong and loved contact, um, you know, and they just had a knack for getting the basketball. And that was the thing about him. He was just relentless in what he did. Yeah, he, you know, I was a rookie in, in, in Houston when he was MVP of the league. And, you know, I, he played 46 minutes and I played two. <laughs> you know, but I learned more from him in practice, just practicing against him and, and trying to keep up with him. But, you know, he was he was so unpredictable. But Dell Harris was the coach of the Rockets back then. And we had a mm -hmm. conversation on a flight one time. And and, you know, I'm like, I'm like, coach, he's he's 610. He's got little hands. You know, he, he you know, he's not the strong, you know, he's not the quickest guy. In the he goes, Mo, we chart it. And he goes after 85% of the the shots that go up, and most NBA guys go after 40%. So, yeah. of course, he's going to get them. Like, relentless yeah. is a great word. But you know what, Mo? It's funny, too, and he, and he, and he filled out. But if, if you look at him when he left high school, he was skint. He was skinny. skinny. Yeah, he was when he, yeah. when he played for Utah in the ABA. He was – he, he got he got big. And uh, um, But, yeah, I mean, that, that's he, – he wasn't – you wouldn't say he's the most athletic guy who's ever played, but uh, man, he just wore you down. God, Mike, I, God rest his soul too, man. I miss him. He and you had was that when he went to all our golf tournaments. He's one of the funniest guys you ever met. Just hey, hey, oh, hey, you know, but you say that, and and I actually. I started to get a little nervous a couple of years ago. Like I'm the last surviving center from the Sixers in the '80s. 
Uh, just oh, like <laughs> a lot, you know, Daryl is gone. Manute is gone. Yeah. Moses is gone. Mark McNamara is gone. Um, oh, you know, it just goes hey, on. And on. Mr. Jeminski. Yes, you, you hear all those, all those names. You just, and I'll keep calling you Mr. Jeminski. It's, it's a habit because I was a just, big fan. It's hard. But you just named all those guys, and people talk about basketball, right? And they always talk about the shooting the ball in the hoop and passing the ball. You just named about eight guys, and there was not one guy you just named that wasn't a classy, classy man. And that's what I want people to realize more about the NBA. There's way more to it than just uh, shooting the basketball. Yeah, and and I, you know, I I was really I was really lucky, Derek, and and I had not only friends like Mo on, on other, on the other team and, you know, throughout the league, but I had some great teammates and, you know, my, my days with the Sixers, um, you know, in, in my journey, the last couple of years, uh, Charles Barkley has been incredible with me. Rick Mahorn has been unbelievable. Um, you know, it just, and when you, when you're on a team like that, and you have these friendships that last for 20, 30 plus years afterwards. It's, it's really special. Can, can you do us a favor, sir? I'm sorry, Ricky, a quick oh, favor. Ahead. I'm looking at your ears. Okay. Now, uh, <laughs> earlier this, earlier this year, I had a phone conversation. It probably was about an hour uh, with a gentleman named Finnis Dembo and Rick Mahorn. And I, we were sitting out on Finnis porch and we were talking to Rick. So that's the first time I ever had any conversation with him. And he's a comedian. But I have to ask you the story about the diamond studded earrings. Uh, could you please tell us? I believe it was a story about you guys one in 10 in a row, if you won 10 in a row. All right. Well, he, uh, here's the story. And I'll, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version of it. We had won like three or four in a row. And and Michael was Michael was the first one, I think, to get his ear pierced. And of course, you know, Charles saw that, you know. So Barkley stands up in front of the team, <clears throat> said, if we win 10 games in a row, Mahorn, G-Man, and I'll get our ears pierced. So we wound up, we got went on a nice streak. We wound, we wound up winning 12 games in a row. And we had the all-star break. So we go, you know, I wasn't on the all-star team. Horn wasn't on the all-star team, but Charlie was. So, you know, I went and got my ear pierced at the, that I was at Atlantic city on the, on the pier on the, it's called the piercing pagoda. And, uh, <laughs> and so Mahorn gets his ear pierced and we come back for practice and everybody's looking at our ears and Barkley comes walking in, no ear pierced. And we're like, you son of a, you, you know, you were the one who made the bet. So after the practice that night, we dragged him over to the Cherry Hills Mall and got him in a kiosk there, got his, sat him down and got his ear pierced. <laughs> so, so then the, the, the continuing story is we go out on a West Coast trip and, and we're playing out in Golden State. We're going through warm-ups and you can't wear jewelry during the game. But if you've ever gotten your ear pierced, you know you can't take the stud out until it heals. And that's like a six-week process. So we got the bright idea of getting the band-aids and cutting the ends off and putting it over our earlobes. So we're going through and Jess Kersey, who Mo will remember, <laughs> comes up to me and he said, hey, Mike, he said, I read about you guys getting your ears pierced. That was a great story. I said, yeah, it was kind of a good team bonding thing. And he goes, do you have them in right now? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, you, you three have to go in and take your, 
earrings out before you can play. So we go in, take our ears out, you know, to earrings out, play the game. And of course, our, they all closed up over the course <laughs> of the game. So for the rest of the year, our trainer has to re-pierce our ear with a stud oh, after every shit. single game. <laughs> and so to this day, I mean, I, you know, you can say I, I've kept it. I, so I was going to be darned if I was going to go through all that and, and let it close <laughs> up and not wear my earring. But I've worn it proudly and it makes, brings back a lot of great memories for me. <laughs> hey, sacrifice uh, that people don't know NBA players do, man. <laughs> um, yeah. Vanity. It's all vanity, Mo. You know, by your jewelry and everything. Mike, what one of our viewers, uh, Chris Ramsey, is checking in and uh he has a question for you. He said, How was it? What was it like playing your rookie year uh with Bill Lambeer? I guess Bill Lamb with Bill Lambeer, Benny Johnson, uh the microwave, and Rick Mahorn. Uh, you know what? Now Horn. He's a he's a Connecticut guy like me. He's from up at Hart. He's up Hartford way. Um, I knew his older brother Owen, who played down at University of Fairfield. I used to scrimmage against them in the summertime. But when Horn came in, I hated him. I hated him like nobody's business, and I hated Lambeer more. And <laughs> and then when we when we trade when we traded for Rick. He said, G-Man, come on, we're going out to lunch. And he, when we went out, he goes, look, all that stuff is behind us. I'm your guy right now. Anything happens, we're in the foxhole together. And we've been best friends ever since that, that wow. day. Wow. But I couldn't, I couldn't stand him. And then I, I couldn't stand him when he played with Ruland either. So I told him, I said, this, this is your bane of your existence you got to play against big white play with big white centers for your whole career <laughs> those two those two were dangerous they were paul, dangerous why, paul why they never get talked about why Jeff they don't talk about mr, oh my mr. Iona. yeah why they don't get talked about more uh, I, all i know is when you're when you were playing and they had uh rules and uh and Mahorn on the, on the floor at the same time, you know, you think you're safe because you got one under your eye and the other one will come get you from the other side. So, hey, Mo, Paul, what about, what hey, about you guard? Paul, uh, I'm sorry, Mike. What about you guys guarding Jeff Ruland? How difficult was that? A lot of people well, he was, know about offensive he, prowess. He was another guy who he was, he played below the rim. I mean, he was about 6'10", 6'11", about 270, but he went right through you. You know, he didn't go over the top of you. I mean, he was just muscle, get positioned, back you down. Injuries really side, you know, curtailed his career. That was, that, you know, that was Jeff's biggest problem. But when when they were together, Johnny Most, who was longtime voice of the Celtics, <laughs> called the two of them McFilthy and McNasty. <laughs> Oh, the, the travesty of them playing together. It's terrible out there. <laughs> speaking, speaking of Johnny Most, uh, Chris all also asked, uh, asked me to ask you about uh, the great uh, Kevin McHale of the uh, Boston Celtics. Uh, you know, Kevin was a we, – we were – you know, we came out together in 80, and that was, that was maybe the biggest heist in the history of the NBA draft. When you know the Celtics had the first pick and the and Golden State had the third pick, and Red Auerbach traded the uh, the first pick for Robert Parrish and the third pick, and he took McHale with the third pick, 
So for Joe Barry Carroll, they got Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish, and they had Bird, you know, the year prior to that. And, you know, that was that was three championships right there for them. Um, Hall of Fame front line right there. Yeah, and, and McHale, the thing about McHale was he was so long. He wasn't big, but it, with his arms and everything, and he played with his arms straight up in the air, and it was like he couldn't do anything to, to challenge his shot, really. Yeah, and he would do anything. He he would go up and under and back around, and he you never knew what he was going to do. And he had the length to not have to jump and finish it. I mean, he, he you know he was six eleven or whatever he was, but he, he probably had an eight foot arm span. So that's how how big well, it was. Well, and the thing too, Mo, you remember like those that front line, and you know Derek was talking about my athleticism, but Larry Bird's was really underrated. I mean, very he made some incredibly athletic plays, but. They were so long, they would push you under the real close to the basket for an offensive rebound and reach basically reach over the top of you. You had to, you had to block those guys out a good four or five feet away from the basket to have a chance at the rebound. Wow. Hey, hey Mike, while we got you here, let, let's <laughs> talk a little bit about the uh, college basketball uh, landscape. You, you covered it uh, over the years. and. And did you see the game changing uh, to, to where it is today with, with so much emphasis on the uh, three-point shot? And, and, <laughs> and, and we see what a business college athletics is today. You know, UCLA and USC is going to be in the Big Ten in a couple of years. I mean, that, just speak about the changes you've seen on the court and from the uh, business side. Well, you know, from from on the court, you know, they, they I think they introduced the three point line in '85, maybe a little bit after I you know came in. It was very short, and they gradually moved it back out, and it's a little short of the three point line in the pros. But you know, it, it seems like the centers have gone away, and and the you know the teams have gotten shorter. And, you know, if you talk analytics to the coaches, that the, the, the thing that's disappeared is the mid-range game. The, in, in, or no, you know, in, in particular order, you know, the three-point shot is a big deal. A drive to the basket is a big deal. Um, something in the pain area or a dunk is a big deal. But the 10- the to 15-foot shot has really disappeared because it's 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 been devalued so much and these guys these guys have ridiculous range now on their jump shots i mean they're not you know guys when we played would toe the line get as close as they could to the line to shoot the three as they could now i mean these guys are four or five six feet behind the three-point line making shots um and it just makes more sense if you're a if you're a 40 percent three-point shooter you know, that's like being a 60% two-point shooter. So, um, you know, just from an analytic standpoint, it makes sense. And, you know, as far as the money, I guess it was a natural progression. I mean, you're talking to the NCAAs. It's a $2 billion a year industry. And, and really, in college sports, basketball doesn't drive the engine anymore. It's, it's football. And that's where the real money is. Um, but basketball is, you know, with the NCAA tournament is such a big money maker. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't really begrudge these guys with the NIL money that they're making. Um, 
it's it's just you know could i say that i if it were there when i was playing would i turn it down like you know i don't know like what mo did but in the summertime i worked basketball camps and i made really good money lecturing at camps in, in you know in the off season and that's how i got my spending money to work throughout the, and playing in counselor games you're helping yourself um so i yeah did i make money when i played absolutely um but it's you know it, the the, the dollar figures that are out there now are staggering and, and what some of these guys are making in their NIL money is really unbelievable. Yeah. Derek, I, mean, Paul, yeah I, was at a, I was at a Kansas function here in Vegas during the summer league. And uh, they were talking about, I talked to some of the parents of the kids and even now you go to college and uh, you get the use of a car for four years and you turn it in. And those cars are BMWs and, and Mercedes. Shoot, I had a broken down uh, Monte Carlo, I think. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I didn't have the Tinkerbell Corvette. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, now, I mean, you know, I don't begrudge them either. I mean, shoot, I wish I could have drove one of those and made some money. But, you know, it's, it's just uh, I just hope these young players don't um forget about like what we talked earlier the experience of playing in college basketball even if it is for just one year yeah and mo i I just the you know the 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 sense of entitlement um you you know you would hope that there would be some gratitude um that goes along with it and and having a sense of what they really have an ability to do um, you know, now with, you know, with going to school or, you know, with the, the monies that they're making and, you know, the time that they're spending in college. Um, and now, you know, I was looking at the NBA, I think the salary cap for next year is like $120 million, you know, like for, for, a, and I know, you know, now it's like, you got 15 guys on a roster plus a couple of two ways. If you can't make an NBA roster now, you really can't play. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I, I want to I want to ask you guys. Uh, all you guys played in the NBA. You you three are part of an a, a, a exclusive uh, uh, fraternity. But I wonder when you hear stories about uh, uh, Trey Young deciding he was not going to play because he had to go to treatment and, and a shoot around, how you guys see that as former players? And what would you think uh, as an athlete? I'll start with you, D, and go around the circle. As well, a, if, if you were a teammate. I kind of talked about it before we came on air. I thought it was ludicrous. Um, I don't know if people know the story. Trey didn't want to, they wanted him to, uh, he wanted to rehab. I believe it was his shoulder or whatever. So he wanted to rehab and um, the coach wanted him to rehab and to go to shoot around uh, Nate McMillan. Trey didn't want to do the shoot around. He just wanted to uh, work on his arm, do the treatment. So that caused a a little friction. So it came down to the point where the coach is asking Trey, um, well, he's telling him either you're going to, you know, go out and do what you're supposed to do, or you're not going to start the next game. You're going to come off the bench in the second half. So he gave Trey the option of coming off the bench in the second half or or or, or doing what he's supposed to do. Trey chose not to do what he's supposed to do, and he chose to sit out the game. Um, if I'm a teammate, boy, I'm hot. I mean, we're trying to win a championship here. Uh, they actually have a pretty good team. 
And now is not the time to start having hiccups. Now is the time to start building something or building the team chemistry. So if I'm a player, I just think it was a ridiculous reason to miss practice, um, to miss a game. And I just think it's something that needs to be addressed within the team confines of the team. And then, hey, we, you move forward. But it needs to be addressed. Yeah, for the for the fans out there, um, they call it a shoot around. It's it's a practice either 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning um, that every team uh, has. Um, and you just go there, you shoot some free throws, you hang around. And then this coaches go over the scouting report of the team you're going to play that night. You might watch some film. It's not you don't really have to do anything. Uh, and if you're hurt or a star, you just have to stand there and listen. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the NBA, you have access to to treatment 24-7. Someone will drive to your house and give you treatment. That's that's what they do. So uh, what, what really would have happened is he gets there an hour early, gets his treatment on his shoulder, goes out, stands around for 30 minutes and goes home. Uh, but I guess he didn't want to do that. And, uh, you know, it, it caused a friction that I know back in our day, I know what uh, uh, Bill Lambeer would have done. I know what Rick Mahorn would have done. Uh, you know, I know what a lot of guys would have done and they wouldn't have been happy with what are you doing? It, just go out there and stand out there. It's not that hard. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I, it goes back a lot to load management and, you know, all the phrases that, you know, are kind of foreign. And that's the one thing I, you know, I credit, you know, the superstars with that they understood people wanted to see them play. And if you were a Western conference guy and you were coming East, they only had a chance to see you play one time. And Michael was aware of people came to see him play. And, you know, and Michael played 80, 80, 80 plus games a year, every single year, you know, for us, well, load management. I remember in Philly that one year that we really, we won the division our load management was kicking the other team's ass and <laughs> and sitting there in the fourth quarter putting ice on and having this the second unit go in and clean things up. I mean, that was our load management. Um, you know, can so you, can you imagine uh the Lakers coming to Philly and playing you guys in Philly in the spectrum, yeah. and then Kareem decides not to play? Yeah, oh or Mag God. or Magic says, I, I'm I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the night off. I'm tired. <laughs> I don't know if he get out of the spectrum. <laughs> hey, hey, Derek, I have a question for you. Um, yes, sir. I, I want to ask you: Do you did you perspire when you played? <laughs> because George never, I never saw him sweat once any time that we played against him. And I just want to know if it was something that ran in the family or what. Yeah, I, 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 I sweated, I sweated a lot. Hey, it's funny you say that, and because uh, um, I started playing him one on one when I was fourteen, and he was twenty five. And I'm still trying to think if I ever remember him dropping a drop of sweat, even a drop of sweat getting on me. And so, the, well, you know, one thing too, he he could talk a pretty good game too. I remember, you know, he'd come in with the with the finger roll, and I'd try to block it. He'd go, "Young fella, what are you jumping at? You can't get that." Listen, Jimmy. So when you talked to George a couple of times, did he out there on the floor? Was he? Um, I, I've never known him to really taunt guys where he's really sincere. Was he the type of guy? Did you ever have a conversation with him during a game? 
No, I mean, he'd say, you know, what are you jumping at that for? You can't block that. You know, just little <laughs> subtle stuff. You know, he'd, you know, he'd give you a little dig here and there. But he just, he'd come in and he was like, it seemed like his arms grew when he got into the lane. They lengthened out to about four feet. And they just <laughs> kind of dropped that shot over the top of you. And uh, But no, he just, he quietly went about his business and kicked your butt. Hey, can I, I ask heard, you a question? Uh, go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. I heard that exact thing more than <laughs> once. And I also heard it from my teammates like Bob Lanier or what are you doing? Stop that. <laughs> you can't get that. <laughs> Mr. Misty, I know we're going to get off the air shortly, but I had to ask you this. Out of your NBA years, what was your one shining moment? Did you have one particular moment that stood out above everything else for you? Yeah, I did. And um, I got to I got to find the guy who put together the film clip that's on YouTube. But um, in 86, uh, this it was the, the season when I was playing with the Nets and we were winding down and we played the uh, we played the Celtics um, in in the Meadowlands. And I had my career high in points and rebounds in the same man. I had 41 points and 22 rebounds Ooh. against that front line, you know, against, it was against Walton and Parrish and McHale. And uh, the funny story after that was for the rest of the year, like Kevin McHale used to love to kill Bill Walton. He used to just love to get under his skin. And Kevin was number 32 and I was number 42. And Kevin changed the number on his a practice jersey to 42 and he would he would taunt Walton and say, "Man, G Man just kicked your." And he did that all the way to the conference finals. And finally, Walton, who couldn't talk back then, would stutter. He said, "That's just not funny anymore." <laughs> <laughs> hey, but, hey yeah. uh, we we just got a couple of minutes. My uh, our viewers are enjoying your conversation so much. Uh, Rick Schulte's checking in, saying, uh, cool conversation. Steve Schroeder, uh, great show. And uh, we appreciate all you guys who are checking us out for your comments. And you know you can get this on the Believe uh, Sports Network, B-L-E-A-V.com, uh, this and past shows. Uh, Mike, just a, a, a couple of more minutes here uh, before we go. Any final thoughts on your career and, and, and what this game has has meant to you over the years? Well, it's, you know, I, Ricky, I mean, the one thing that I want to put out there and, and uh, you know, I mean, Mo has been such a huge, you know, help all the all the blessings that I've had. Um, I've been I've been in recovery for alcohol for I'm coming up on 29 months now. And, uh, you know, I just want to put it out there that, you know, if, if you think you have a problem, you do. And it's never too late to address it. Um, I was heading in a real bad direction. The one thing we have, we can't, you know, you can't change, you can't have any control over what life throws at you, but you can have a control over how you react to it. And I made some really bad decisions for a, for a while. Um, my son had an intervention for me. And I've been able to turn my life around and it really has been a blessing. And Mo has been such a huge mentor to me, you know, on, on this journey. And, and 
I just I wanted to put that out there how how good life has gotten for me since I've made that decision. Proud of you, sir. Man, Proud that, of is, you. that is fantastic. Hey, brother, you got to come back because we. I, I, I want. I want to do. Let's do part two. Let's do yeah. part three. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because we got a bunch of topics we didn't even have time to get into. Ricky, you better tell Mister uh, Jaminski though about me. If he says he's gonna do a part two, you already know me. We are gonna call you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I promise I won't block the number. That's uh... <laughs> hey, hey, well, one quick thing before we get out of here. What uh, 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 what college team is standing out to you as we start the season? And it, is it one college player that you well, re really like watching? Well, we talked about no centers, and the guy, Eddie, at Purdue is really special yeah. at 7'3". And – they, I think, more than any team has impressed me early on. Now, it's a long year, but um, they are really good. They're really balanced. Um, you know, they've got some good depth. How about this for continuity at, at Purdue? In the last 40, I think it's 43, 44 years, they've had two coaches, Gene Cady and Matt Painter. Um, just an incredible story there, but I, I, I really like the Boilermakers. They're, uh, they're, they're playing very well. Hey, Mike, um, talk about Eddie, cause I've seen him play on TV. Uh, for those of you out there, he's seven, four, about 300 pounds, really good hands can score. Uh, um, have you seen him in person and, uh, do you, will he transfer into the NBA game? Cause there's all those Ooh, questions yeah. about, about good that. Point. Paul, yeah, I, no, well, I'm glad. Hey, I'm sorry, Mr. Jaminski. Paul, no. I'm glad you said that because it, it kind of reminds me of uh, Luke Garza. So that's a great question because I'm, I'm interested in your Luke Garza. Yeah, yeah I, but, I think. Well, I, I I think two things, Mo, and then you. It was about the third thing you said that was the most important. He's got great hands, and you know, if you're a big and you got great hands, I mean, I, I saw Tim Duncan play at Wake Forest. And he had the best hands that I had ever seen of anybody. I knew he was going to translate. And I think Eddie is more so than Garza. He's more athletic, believe it or not, at, at his size. He's got 7'3". And I think even in this environment that, you know, they'll, they'll find a way, they'll find a place for him in the offense and get him the ball. But uh, I, I think he's going to be really good. Well, we're going to get out of here. We want to thank everybody for tuning in. This has been a fantastic show. Uh, we'll add you to our list of legends like Dr. J, George Iceman, Gervin, uh, gosh. Cindy uh, Moncrief, Jack Sigma. <laughs> hey, you know what? All the guys we talked about, I'm in a poster on somebody's room, but the poster isn't about me. It's about me looking at those guys doing something. Right? <laughs> My rookie year, I got I got dunked on by Doc so hard, and I got and and in the prize I got dunked on, kicked in the groin, and had a had a blocking foul called on me. All in the <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to someone would come through me or whatever. I try to take a charge. I end up with a bloody nose, and they call a foul on me. I'm like, what? Did I foul with my face? What? Well, it's a, <laughs> hey hey guys, you wanted something about Mo that uh, and may, he might have self-titled himself he called himself the speed bump he said he's not <laughs> he's not going to stop anybody but he'll slow you down 
It worked for 12 years, baby. 12 years. Hey, hey, Mike, I wanted to thank you for coming on. I, I love you, brother. Keep up the fight. I'm proud of you. Um, we're, 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 we're your fans and we're your brothers now. So. Wow. Well, hey, I love you guys. And Mo, you're, you're my mentor, man. I just, you give me strength every day. Um, and I am envious of those shots from the pool side at, uh, out of Vegas. Come on, Come on out. Come on out. <laughs> well, we're going to get out of here for Derek Gervin, Paul Mokeski, and our special guest, Mike Jaminski. I'm Ricky Hampton. Peace, everybody. See you I next love week. You guys. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Mr. Jaminski. Have you. a great night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.